You're listening to the Lead to Think podcast, a podcast that brings together and inspires small business owners in the salon, spa, and fitness space to be empowered in their everyday decision-making. My name is Lauren Gish. I'm best known for being a coach and strategist in small business. I'm also a salon owner in Nashville, Tennessee. We're going to be talking about key strategies to keep you from being overworked, overwhelmed and drowning in debt to being rested in control of your business and more than profitable. I'll be sitting down with industry experts and business owners that are just like you to discuss the lessons they've learned and the strategy that's helped them build and survive the roller coaster that is small business. So I want to welcome everyone to today's episode and introduce you to Nicole. She is um, a salon owner and educator that I have gotten to know, and she was on an episode last season as well. And so if you've listened to her before, you know that she has amazing experience under her belt and has a lot to share. So I wanted to bring her back on. But for those of you that haven't maybe heard her previous episode or don't know Nicole, Nicole, would you tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're located? Sure. I would love to. Okay. So I own Blue A Color Salon with my husband in St. Louis, Missouri. We have been partnered as salon owners for the last nine years now. Um, and I owned a salon previously to that for about eight years. So I've been, been in the industry for about 30 years as a stylist and I've been an owner for roughly the last 18 years. So yeah, I, I work as an educator for Davines and love doing that and use a little bit of business consulting and that type of thing. But yeah, that's... So you that's got your hands in all kinds of places. <laughs> I do. I do. The, my biggest is, my biggest for sure is the slum, you know, and that's what we're most passionate about. And that's what we've been mostly focusing on, of course, you know, over the last year for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I thought of Nicole for this season with embracing discomfort and looking at it as a growth opportunity because watching her from afar and hearing the story she's had to tell, those are some really big qualities I see in her character. And so she had a few really great ideas um, for this episode. And so she's actually going to tell two stories to us today about her salon experience that I'm really excited to hear more of. So first, we're going to talk pandemic and how she embraced discomfort in 2020 and what it did for her. So tell us a little bit about what all of the restrictions and reopening and all that looked like for you. Okay. So yeah, it's been been quite a year. And I I thought it was funny in my Facebook memories today, um, one of the memories that popped up was like some crazy mask wearing thing like that. And I mean, I think how crazy a year ago at this time to wear a mask was like a foreign thought process for us. And now it's just a part of our everyday life. It's, Mm -hmm. I, I find masks in my coat pockets, you know, it's like finding spare change or, you know, tips that were left over from the previous year. Now it's going to be masks next year, you know? (laughs) I wish it was money. I wish it was I prefer the money. I prefer the money. I'm not going to lie. But yeah, so it was, almost exactly a year ago to date, I think next week that we started really hearing like things are starting to shut down. Um, All of our travel was getting canceled because at that time, Charles and I worked almost every weekend as an educator. Um, So we would be hopping on a flight usually on Saturday and teach until Monday, come home on Monday night. And they started canceling our classes 
And we were kind of like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? You know, what should we do? And I, I felt this sense of like, it was almost like you, you needed to make a decision for your business. And it became like a, a public service to say you were going to shut down. You didn't know what to do. You're like, okay, how am I going to be viewed? And what, you know, what should the, how should we do this? So we finally made a decision before the government decided. We decided maybe two days prior to that, that we were going to do this two week shutdown. Mm-hmm. Which is now just laughable because oh yeah I did it too I, mean, I did it too yeah <laughs> it was like in that moment I remember thinking two weeks we will never I mean oh my gosh what do we have in our bank account you know so you start scrambling you're looking at like how long can we survive and it wasn't much past two weeks I have to be honest I don't know that we mm-hmm. thought we could survive it's kind of crazy oh yeah I know because you know? you're also looking at it from a perspective like there's no money coming in. You're going to still try and pay your people. You're not thinking that there's going to be all this support. And we've been very blessed with so much support with all the PPP money and all of that stuff. But yeah, so we shut down and we soon realized that it just continued and continued and continued. So we were nine weeks shut down. I think we spent three different times for hours, like rescheduling appointments only to be told that we weren't going to open again. And, you know, we had to reschedule all of those people again. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, So in the midst of many, many breakdowns, you know, you're, you're also trying to learn a whole new side of business, which is, I mean, waters I have never navigated. So trying to understand unemployment and what that looks like for your team and all of these grants and loans and all of this craziness that, there's nobody that you can like hire to just do that stuff. So you have to No. It's crazy. I mean, I think one of us, somebody should be doing that job, you know? I guess I know. And no one had a good answer. No, everyone was like, <laughs> What are you doing? What are you doing? I exactly. I started hosting just like a Zoom call out of pure desperation because I was like, I'm gonna just share as much information as I have and then if anyone else has something to add, like let's exactly. figure it out. Yeah, it's so it was amazing. That was kind of an amazing thing to see how salon owners. And I mean, I felt like it was mostly owners at that point that really just came together. We were all in this same crazy place where it was like, how are we going to navigate through this? Mm -hmm. Um, So we had a group that we got on, they were doing a Zoom call every night at seven o'clock. And it kind of became the only like attachment that I had to my identity. Because all of a sudden you're shut down and you're like, who, I don't even know who I am, which is a whole different episode, you know, of like, so figuring out how, I mean, I've changed so much as a person over the course of this last year, but ultimately in the end, I see tremendous opportunity and growth through the pandemic. So the biggest, I would say our biggest like craziness was when they finally said, you know, we're thinking, okay, we're going to reopen on May 18th, we're going to reopen. And we're not in our mind thinking that we're not going to, I mean, at this point, we're still thinking we're just going to go back to business as usual. You know, we're going to mm-hmm. book everybody. We're going to have you know more clients in the salon than we have chairs. We're not even thinking that they're going to do any kind of occupancy restriction. So they put this crazy twenty five percent occupancy rule out. Wow! Yeah, twenty five percent, and we have a twelve hundred square foot space. You know mm-hmm. that we typically will do. I mean, we would do a million dollars out of that space. So you can imagine the amount of people we're used to having in that tiny little salon space. Yeah. 
we first started looking at it and we were saying, okay, the only way we could keep our whole team, which was a non-negotiable for us, like we're keeping our people there. This is not, you know, there's no way they're not working. The only way we could keep our whole team was to be open 14 hours a day. Mm -hmm. And you start looking at that and you're like, okay, in theory, okay. But then you're like, when, who's going to be getting their hair done at 11 o'clock at night? Like, how do we think we're going to fill all of these chairs for more than the first week? You know, the first week, first two weeks, you probably could have because people were just desperate. But then also, I'm thinking about my team. And as much as I know and love and respect my team, I also know that they haven't been on Zoom calls every night at seven o'clock understanding what it's going to need to look like in the salon in order for us to reopen. Oh, you know, yeah. all of the protocol, you're like, there's no way they're going to be able to handle, you know, COVID release forms, temperature taking, all of this stuff. Like we have to be able to be there. Yeah. So I think it was about two weeks before we were given the date. They gave us like two weeks to prepare, which was pretty good, actually. You know, it was at the time you were like, oh my gosh, two more weeks. But we were pretty thankful that we had that time to kind of regroup and get fully organized. We reached out to our landlord and said, Hey, we know that you had a business leave right at the start of the pandemic that was four doors away from us. Is there any way that we could lease that space to use just to like apply colors or to have people waiting, maybe do haircuts? And what does that look like? Could that be a possibility? And what I found that was such an amazing thing about the pandemic, and I was like, wouldn't it be great if this is how life was always? Everyone said yes. I mean, it was just a yes community. Everybody you asked for help was helping, and there was no... I was like, man, we could be so much more successful as a world and society if we would just learn how to say yes more often and stop making everything so difficult or hard for people. So they said yes. So then we're like, okay, great. This is going to work. Um, and he says, well, let me um, get with, you know, whoever he needs to get to. So time starts ticking away and every day you're asking for an answer. And of course you understand that they're busy and crazy. And now we're 48 hours from opening and we still don't have the keys to this space. And I can look through the window and tell that it doesn't look anything like our salon. Like it's pretty awful looking. It's like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do in this gross space? And so I had kind of, you know, the week prior, I was like, what could we do to kind of dress it up? How are we going to, it was all carpeted. How are we going to cut hair on carpet? God. It, it was disgusting. I mean, it, yeah. carpet, it was like not even something that you would be proud of or, or think, oh, at least it's nice carpet. It was really gross. And it had been a political like office. Mm-hmm. So there was all of this, you know, depending on which side of the fence you sat, Um, with politics, you either would not mind being in this space the way that it was decorated, or you would mind being in this space. So there (laughs) was was like the last possible thing you needed in 2020. Like it was. Exactly. Yeah. That's awful. So I, I started thinking like, what can we do? How can we, and, and they very adamantly say we can do nothing to improve the space. And I'm thinking, why wouldn't you just let us paint? You know, it's like, I don't understand. It would make it better, but okay. So we end up just getting ridiculously crafty. We buy this like seven foot tall roll of paper and we just paper the walls. 
And then we have our, our staff in, in 48 hours, this all happened. That was the craziest part. Our staff and some of our clients did artwork all over those walls. That's we, so cool. It was really, it, it actually was, it made it special. And that's what I was, I just kept saying, like people have been locked up in their home. You can't have people come in here and be like they're shoved in a closet somewhere because that's what it's going to feel like in comparison to the salon. And so we wanted it to feel good and happy. So mm-hmm. we decorated the walls. We covered the floor in plastic with like, you know, what they would have in a home if, if it was a display home so you wouldn't ruin the carpet. Mm-hmm. So we covered it with that and we got all set up. I mean, it was tons of, you know, sanitation stations and all of this craziness. And in theory, it shouldn't have worked, but it did. And it worked beautifully. Like it was crazy how seamless it was. We, it was perfect mm-hmm. because the weather was nice and we had a covered porch that we could walk back and forth on. So if it was raining, it didn't matter. So it worked and clients loved it, but we also didn't anticipate having to be in there quite as long. You know, we were thinking it would be a few weeks. We just closed it last Friday. Wow. So since then, you know, we've had to make other improvements. We put down a temporary floor because the plastic was like becoming a trip hazard and was disgusting looking. So we put down like a, the cheapest laminate floor you could find and just left it floating. And then we were able to pop it back up and sell it to somebody to use, you know? So it, it's been interesting and it was kind of like a happy, sad, you know, when it was, I've never been so happy to undo something that I worked so hard to put together. It was exhausting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and when we were in there, it was almost emotional because it was like, Every chair would be full. And and what it ended up doing for us was it allowed us to work our entire team eight hours a day, six days a week, and then we closed any other time so that no one had to feel. Because my fear was, how do you get this team of people that's had nine weeks off work, how do you get them back and get them feeling like they want to continue to do this and be passionate about this industry? At that point, I mean, the thought of working in a mask was like traumatic for people. Now it's just oh like, yeah, yeah, and just the blow drying and the like, the talking. And yeah. at first, too, I feel like it takes your body some time to get used to it. So anyone that's in a client-facing industry, I mean, whether it's when I was talking to some of my clients that had fitness studios, like having people work out with masks on, or like people doing any sort of face procedures, things like that, like the level of like on off, what was safe, what wasn't safe, like navigating those waters was so wild. And I mean, and there was a legitimate fear, like full on fear around Mm -hmm. this disease. I mean, you either had, all right, I don't know if they call it a disease, but a virus, I guess, you know, you had the people, you had people sitting at kind of like the politics, you had people sitting on both sides of the fence, you had people that thought it was absolutely ridiculous. You had, but ultimately you needed to be over the top for the people that didn't feel like it was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You know, and I feel like for us, we were somewhere in between, but we knew protecting our staff because as much as you want to be like, oh, I don't know, still at the end of the day, you're in charge. And if you, if somebody were to get sick, like really sick, I would never forgive it over work. I would never get over it. Yeah. And that's, I think that was the thing as an owner. And I don't know if you felt this way too, but I had, um, I had some family that had gotten it early on that got really sick 
And my uncle, I mean, he survived when he was like vented and in the ICU in Chicago. And it was, yeah, it was scary. I didn't to hear about. And then um, other family get it as well. And so, and then here before like in Nashville for it ramped up, we have a lot of people that work in the medical community. So they would be telling us what was coming, what was happening, what they were hearing Mm -hmm. from the CDC. And then you'd have clients come in and it was so opposing every time someone would walk through the Mm -hmm. door. Right. and exhausting and okay. then having to think about all the protocol on top of it has just like I've just been like any I, I, sort of just like taking that discomfort and making it innovation and like protecting your people at the same time has been I mean if you can do that like really we can do anything I'm like we could do anything true. now we no, really can't true and I think you know having the even having the energy to do it, like I can remember kind of hitting a wall in July. So we mm-hmm. opened in May. So it was probably right at the two week or two month mark. And it was like, we're going to be up to 50%. We're not going to be up to, you know, the honeymoon's kind of over. The, you're the savior of everybody. When you first reopen, the clients love you. You can do no wrong. It doesn't matter if they're getting their hair cut in the parking lot. They don't care. Two months later, people are starting to care a little bit more. Things are changing. They're not happy with the price increase. There's different kinds of pressure, your staff's exhausted. Mm -hmm. And I can remember kind of just hitting this wall. And for two weeks straight, I did nothing but go to work. And if I wasn't at work and either feeding my family or feeding myself, I was in bed. I just couldn't deal with anything. But I gave myself that time, which normally I would be like, this is not okay. You got to push through this. I gave myself that time to kind of just rest. And then after that, I started just implementing new things. I mean, because I think it was also kind of a grieving of the fact that this business that we had created was no longer a thing. It's not the same. And so as much as you want to be like, and and we felt like we had finally, like we had finally figured it out. You know, we're 18 years owners. My gosh, we've got a system that works. We've got, we finally figured it out and had our best year ever. We were named Salon of the Year for St. Louis during the pandemic. You know, it's like, we feel like we got robbed of that year. And so there was kind of this whole, almost like a death, like a grieving of how do we regroup now? And I don't want to do all that work again. I don't want to re-figure it all out. It was exhausting the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's kind of where even my second story comes into play because it, I mean, it took some real like digging back to thinking about where I came from and yeah. what we built that out of. And now I say all the time, like when we, when we opened Blue, we were opening on, we, we were renaming a business that I had owned and we were partnering together. Mm-hmm. We were opening with the intention that we would have or the understanding or belief that we had a full staff of people. Um, we had a good revenue coming in every month. We had a good solid revenue. I think we at that time employed maybe up to 18 people. So okay. That's a lot of stylists. It's a decent yeah. salon, you know, mm-hmm. and we wanted to downsize. We were moving away from rental. We had been blended at that point. And so we were kind of moving in a different direction and we ended up Ultimately, to make a really long story short, we were trying to negotiate on our space, wanted to downsize the space we were in. Landlord quits talking to us. I may have covered it a little bit in the, in the first podcast we did, but 
we end up finding out that somebody that I had worked with for 16 years, I hadn't employed her for 16 years, but I had worked with her for 16 years. So she was a friend, you know, she was a colleague, had approached my landlord and said, I know they want to downsize. We'll take, we'll take the space just like it is. Um, because I trusted my people and I told them what we were, what our plan was. Cause it was kind of, at that time it was during the 2007 recession, like when the recession was hitting And so there was lots of stuff happening that, you know, you needed to kind of redirect as a business owner anyway. We found out, so when the landlord quit talking to us, we ended up ultimately finding a different plaza and we were going to open a brand new space. But we had talked to our team and everybody was like, no, yeah, we're going to go. We're with you. It's going to be great. We're excited. And three weeks before we opened, we found out no one was going. We had one person and they were all staying there. Yeah. I mean, that's just like, not only financially, like you're spending all this money to build out a new space, which costs way more than what people realize way more than the betrayal. And not only is that that's uncomfortable financially and uncomfortable business wise, but being betrayed by everyone that's been around you that you've helped build their business. Right. You, You know, it was so And then on top, like, it's even one thing to have a walkout. You know, it's one thing when people, you come into a space you've built and people have walked out on you. That feels bad. Mm -hmm. But to not only have a walkout, but then have them be able to still go to the space that you built and you can't go there. It did something so, it caused such a deep hurt and a deep, like, I mean, I think you, you could go two ways. You're either going to be the crazy person that's like, I'm never quitting. I'll show you. I'm going to, you know, or. You can get really bitter. Yeah. 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 You know, and I'm never going to trust anyone again. And um, I, I don't uh, possess that ability because that's not who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am very trustworthy. You know, or I, I trust everyone. I, I think I'm trustworthy as well. But I mean, I am pretty trusting. I don't trust mm-hmm. like I used to. Um because I also think you have to start to realize as a business owner, trust is something that is definitely earned from your people. You know, you have to have them allow them to earn, earn your trust, but also you put your good people in jeopardy or in harm's way if you're too trusting. So you have to be a little careful. You know, you have to learn that lesson as a business owner as well, because when I think of that staff now, really i can i can be honest enough with myself to say i put a lot of people that worked there in a horrible position because if i hadn't divulged so much information they would have never had to make that decision and in all honesty for them that was a hard decision to make yeah when it happened you know it took time to realize that but when it when it happened it would just felt raw and it felt like betrayal as time goes on, you can look at it and say, okay, maybe I wasn't presenting the way they needed me to be. Maybe mm-hmm. they're scared of change. Just because I'm not afraid of change doesn't mean that everybody out there isn't afraid of change. So you really do, as an owner, have to recognize what your responsibility is. In that recognition, navigating the pandemic, I felt like, I was like, man, I was made for this. Like I'm ready for this because I've been through Mm -hmm. a a situation where my staff needed to be able to trust me. And I didn't provide that. 
Yeah. You know, in this situation, that was my number one focus. What needs to happen so that they feel like they can trust our leadership? Mm -hmm. And that's how we led through it. And that was the huge part of, because to close your business after eight hours, I mean, there were Tuesdays, I think we were open from like seven to three. That doesn't make sense in the business world when you're like, people want their hair done, but it made sense for our people. Yeah. And it made sense for them to be able to trust us. And up until the end of 2020, every single month, our numbers were up. Mm-hmm. We're feeling it a little bit. We've definitely felt it during the holiday season. I mean, holidays are always so booming. And this year, I think people chose. I think they chose yeah. quarantine so that they could see their family. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't mean they don't love us. It doesn't mean we're not going to rebound. March is looking awesome. Thank goodness, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that's, that's a good thing. But yeah, I, I think you have to, to really look at like, how can we turn this for good? And then that we, we kind of rode the energy of that until November hit. And then November hit us and we were kind of like, okay, now is our second wake up call. Now it's time to regroup. So we wrote out the holidays the way they were. We've been fortunate enough, like I said, to have some, some assistance with grants and, and the different loan opportunities. And we took everything we could get because we just don't know, you know, we didn't know what the future would hold, but going into 2021, now we're ready and we're, we have the energy we need to Mm -hmm. rebuild and regrow in a different way. You know I mean? It's, it's a grind. I mean, I can say last week, I, I mean, Sunday, you know, people are like, Oh, have a good weekend. And I was Sunday, I was at my computer from seven 30 in the morning till 1130 at night. You know, you're working on branding and new, you have to reinvent everything again. You know, it's yeah, yeah. new ways of, okay, how, when people arrive, how do they arrive anymore? Can they come in? Can they not? You have, just have to keep reworking it all. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's ultimately, if you can just dig deep and, and keep refinding, revisiting what got you where you were. Mm-hmm. And even now it's like, okay, well, let's just look at 2020 look where we are. Like we made it. We're a year later. We're still in business. Which is, I mean, everyone was like, if this goes on for this long, there's no way we're not going to make it. Like I heard that over and over and over and over. And I was like, honestly, (laughs) you, we can, unless you're totally, totally shut, 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 which I do know, especially California, New York, like they've experienced a lot of that, which is a whole other conversation, but it's been amazing to see the resilience of, of people. And I want to go back to something that you said when you found out when you were establishing glue that everyone was staying and you pop up a trail and all that stuff. I feel like there's a, there's a couple defining moments throughout our career that kind of we build on and that we reflect on. And I know you said like, I'm just not that person that's going to be like, you know, bitter and then like build something out of bitterness and whatever, but you did have a choice (laughs) in that moment. And I'm sure that those thoughts came, like came for you anyway, even though you were like, I'm not doing that. When you um, made that choice and that decision, is there words you can put to that that are like, I would, oh, I, you get to pick who you are as an owner. Does that make sense? And so I feel like, can you put words to be, to like what kind of owner you chose to be and then how that showed up again in 2020? You know, I I would say the biggest part of that was I wanted to be a better owner. Like Mm -hmm. in the most 
naive, like childish, childlike, not childish, but childlike way of putting it in a sentence. I wanted to be better. I wanted to be the best person to work for. And then I had to define what that looked like. So I think in that scenario, initially, when, when I started out, I mean, I was young, I was 28. And I had started my family so young. So I feel like there was all of this, like, for so many years, I didn't really fit anywhere. So finding that place, then I became this owner, you know, and so you're trying to find how you fit there. And there was always this, like, I just wanted people to like me. I wanted people to say good things about me. Ultimately, I've grown, obviously, through a lot of that. And I still want those things. I mean, I think we all want to be remembered for the things that we did. You know, we want people to remember us and say, oh, my gosh, they were, they were great. They, they did so much to help me. But in defining, like, what that looked like, I had to start looking at business more. So it wasn't, like, all the fluff stuff. It wasn't bringing everyone little gifts or making breakfast or decorating the salon. Like, I could definitely get hung up on that for a long time. Like, I would just do all these things, trying to surround people with things that made them feel good. Um, and then I would be like, okay, if we do those things, people are happy. Well, ultimately you have to, as a business owner, if you want to own that kind of business, you have to start understanding business and look at like long-term, you need to care as much about their long-term or more about their long-term happiness than you do the right now. So it, it was a whole part of learning to grow to have an uncomfortable conversation with somebody so that they could have long-term happiness. And then I had to start looking at, like, I'll say, I use the phrase, I want to be a company. I don't want to be just like a mom and pop hair salon because I would always, I grew up in the industry, so I don't mean any disrespect by that. And my grandmother had salons for years. My, my mom's family had salons. So it's, it's been a long time, but I knew that there was a big difference in a, in a very naive business way, I knew there was a big difference between my grandma's hair salon and my dad working at Anheuser-Busch in the, like in the plant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, my dad worked for a company. He had all these benefits. He had a retirement, he had vacation and he had a lot of vacation, like, you know, because they were union. So in my mind, I always want to, I'm like, I want to be like a union without having the union part of it. Right. Right. Yeah. I'd be able to offer that kind of vacation. I want, because the quality of people's lives should matter. And I felt that in our industry, so often, we don't look past what we're doing this year, what we're doing this month, you know, okay, I'm going on vacation, I need to make some extra money. So I'm going to work extra hours this week. And I'm going to work some extra hours the week I get back. And I'm going to take a vacation and be burnt out when I leave. And I'm gonna be burnt out when I come back. Mm-hmm. But it'll be great when I'm gone, you know, or whatever that looks like. You know, it's yes, it's yeah, yeah. But for some reason in our industry, we just continue to do those things. And mm-hmm. so for me, it became this like I know I knew nothing about business, you know. So it became this almost journey of like investigating and trying to figure out how you can have it both ways. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How can you still have it feel close and personal and like the salon that, you know, the mom and pop salon that everybody loves, but be able to offer your people benefits and a future. Because mm-hmm. the reality of it is for most hairstylists, your body does give out at some point. It's kind of like mm-hmm. a carpenter or a sheet metal worker, you know, 
And yeah, while they can make a great living, carpenters have unions, you know, sheet metal workers have unions that make sure they have a retirement, make sure they have benefits to the fact that they abuse their body. We don't have any of that. Right. Yeah. Like who's going to do it but us Mm -hmm. as far as owners? Like if we want to build that, like we're the ones that have to. Right. Um, And then I want to go back to something that you said when you were thinking about transitioning to a company and talking to people, talking to people about their success. Like if you have to have those uncomfortable conversations, when did you realize that that made you a better business owner than making things pretty? (laughs) You know, what's so funny is, I I mean, I can remember being so frustrated. I mean, years of my life frustrated, just so frustrated. Why aren't they getting it? And I've tried to say it every nice way. It's kind of like in parenting, sometimes you just have to be like, get your shoes on, you know, or whatever it is you're trying to get yes. instead yeah. of being like, okay, we just need you to put your shoes on. You know, it, it, sometimes it doesn't work. Like you could say the same thing, but the, if the tone changes, sometimes they know that you mean it, mean business. So I would mm-hmm. spend years dancing around, dancing around saying the hard thing. You know, I try to come up with every way to say it nicely. And, and it would always be like some sort of fluff that, Oh, I would always try to go after how it would make someone feel. Oh, you can make this person feel this way. Finally, I realized after, I mean, I was so frustrated that I think I just finally bluntly said it to somebody once, just like Mm -hmm. reached the end of my day and just said, we've talked about this. I don't know why you continue to do that when we've talked about it. Like this is a non, this is a non-negotiable. Yeah. Remember the feeling that I had leaving work that night. And I walked out and I was like, wow, I just took that off of myself. Mm -hmm. I get to live in the freedom of knowing that I have told them Mm -hmm. this is how we do it. And I also give them the freedom to make the choice. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of became like, it was probably a, a real like growth that was happening both at home, probably navigating teenagers and the business at the same time. And you're mm-hmm. starting to see how your leadership styles are working or not working. And then I started to recognize I have a serious issue with feeling like somebody's upset with me. I don't want that. I don't want people to be upset with me. I guess I think mostly because when you're upset with somebody, you know how that feels. You hate being, I don't like to be upset with someone. And so mm-hmm. I never wanted someone to be upset with me. Yeah. And now I've realized like, one, you're robbing them of the opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, you think, I, I always looked at it like I was trying to help them. I never wanted them to experience the pain or discomfort of, of somebody saying, hey, you're not doing good enough. Yeah. When really people saying to me, and maybe they didn't say it in that way, like they didn't come up and say, hey, you're not doing good enough, but they mm-hmm. left. Their actions let you know you weren't Yes. Yeah. Those were the moments that I grew. Those were the moments that I could dig deep. And so it was like, okay, eventually you have to stop trying to save everybody from that and allow them to grow so that they can become who they're supposed to be. Yeah. And I think that there's something interesting too about offering people the choice. Oh my God. Like you can, you can say your boundary where you stand and what you require. It's your business. You're able to do that. And you can say it in a way that's really, really kind. Right. Um, and just say like, 
this, like you said, like this is non-negotiable. Like we just don't do that. And then they have the choice of their response. Like, okay, I have an opportunity to grow here. You didn't say this is a non-negotiable, you're fired. Right. So this is a non-negotiable, we don't do that. Um, I had a employee that just couldn't stop gossiping. Like just was constantly like about clients, about other people, like about everyone that worked there, about my business partner and there. And finally, I just brought her in the office um, one day and I just was like, listen, you have a choice. <laughs> right. Can top, stop talking shit about everybody or, and like stay and like really contribute with your leadership and your persuasive, you know, she was very persuasive, very powerful in what she said. And I was like, you can contribute or you can go. Like that's, you know, that's up to you. And she left and it was honestly one of the best things that ever happened because it was, it was like the step in establishing like that's, you know, like I put up this boundary, this is, and now that's what our expectation is. And everybody knows it in a way that was fine, you know? Exactly. You know, it's, Um, I think leadership is so interesting because it's a life and I think it's a lifelong journey of mm of really learning the best strategies and the, you know, better ways to lead. I think those are your best, those are the people that are your best leader. Those are the people you want to follow, the people that are constantly willing to look at how can I do better? How can I do better? And I've really been working on how to have those difficult conversations um, in a way that really takes a lot of the pressure off of me. You know, it's, it's really, yeah, saying, I'm going to, I'm giving you a choice or why don't you tell me, what do you think your performance has been, you know, in the way it relates to this? Mm -hmm. And okay, so you know, this is our company's standard. What do you think the consequence should be if we're not, if, you know, we, that's a non-negotiable. We're not going to negotiate on that particular issue. So if you can't meet that, like, what's it going to take? What's it going to take to help you meet it? And you kind of start to learn that it, yeah, it's not up to me. It's up to them. Yeah. It's up to me to lead well and to mm-hmm. try and ask questions. But after that, it's 100% up to them. Yeah. I was talking actually with a client earlier. We were talking about her processes and her business and all that. And she was just talking about how frustrated she was. And I was like, well, you never gave anyone the opportunity to make a choice. You've just been taking it on and over-serving and over-performing and then mad at them for it. Like you... And with our employees, I think that we have this opportunity to really give them. It's so empowering too to be like, you actually have control over this. Like, I'm not going to carry that for you. So do you want to join me um, or not? So a coach that I've been working with was saying, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so, it was so powerful. He was like, you know, you don't have to respond to every question that's asked of you with an answer. Yeah. Say, I actually do have a thought on that, but I'm curious what you're thinking before I give you the answer. What are you thinking? He goes, cause most of the time they have an answer, but then you're supposed to think for everybody. That's exhausting. Mm-hmm. So I love it, that. That's it's, so it's good. good. It's like you, how in the world are we really supposed? Cause I'll say that I'm like, okay, so the, the fact that you didn't do your education requirements now is my emergency because you don't know how to handle this situation. And so now it's an emergency in my life because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. 
Mm-hmm. So when you start to recognize the fact that if you have a lot of people in your care or a lot of people that you're leading, it doesn't mean that you're supposed to do all the thinking for them. It's like, wow, that's amazing how different it can be. And to, to just piggyback onto growth again, oh my gosh, you're mm-hmm. teaching them how to grow or allowing them to grow. You're getting out of the way. Yeah. And, and the that, pandemic taught yeah. me that because, you know, reduced occupancy and all of those things taught me how to stay away a little bit and then start to establish some of that trust, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think all of those little opportunities to ask someone a question when you could give an answer or you feel like you should have the answer is an opportunity to take that discomfort and see what it'll do for you. (laughs) You know, it's interesting because sometimes I think we're, it's kind of like hiring a new person. You think, oh, I need to hire a new front desk, you know, associate or salon manager, you know, whatever label or title you give, give the people that work for you. And then you kind of think about all the work that's going to go along with it. And if you're going to do it and do it successfully, it's going to take you so much more time and energy to hire the person than it would to just do the work yourself. It's mm-hmm. kind of like that. And you think, okay, I could just give them the answer really quick because I'm busy. But long term... If you stop giving the answer or if you hire the employee and you train them properly, long term, it's freedom. And so that's kind of my word. That's what I look at all the time. It's like, how can you own a business and still and not be a prisoner in it, still have freedom? Because yeah. I think most of the time we're, we're prisoners in our own. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, open a business. They said it'll be fun. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. You're never off. You, you know, it's, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be that way. No, and it's it. I think it turns into that because it's a prison you built, right? So yeah. if you if you sit there and you're like, oh gosh, I have to micromanage all this stuff all the time, and you don't empower your people, I don't. Whose fault is that? You know? Exactly. Like the so, place is going to burn down. You know, if one if one interaction doesn't go the way you want it to, it's not going to burn down. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. And I think that I mean, you're a parent, and I'm a parent, and there's just a difference. There's a different approach, I think, once you've had to parent and really realize there's only so much control you have. Right. You know, and then there's, you can give opportunities to change behavior and hope it goes well. Mm-hmm. They might embarrass you sometimes. <laughs> right. But we can still, we can figure it out. So, so before we sign off, I want to thank you for everything that you shared today. And is there any other little nuggets of wisdom you have for the audience you shared a lot it was great thank you um I I love doing this this is it's always to me I I think if we the more we share with each other the the stronger we can get whether it's in any I mean any of it's applicable to any type of business but Mm -hmm. ultimately at the end of the day I, I think anytime if you're in a leadership position if you're in a position that's so uncomfortable yeah, you can get in bed for two weeks and sometimes that you need to do that too, just to find sometimes. the answers, you know, yeah. but ultimately there's a whole world of resources out there. Just go back to the drawing board and, and don't feel like things have to constantly evolve. I think that that's the hardest, can be the hardest part sometimes because we want to arrive. We mm. want to get there. We want to feel like, oh, I'm there. I mean, you're going to have to course correct throughout your business for as long as you're in business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just having a willingness to be open 
to that change, I think can make all the difference in your sanity and your happiness. Um, and then just don't be afraid to dream big, like really, really big, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, thank you. And um, I'm sure we'll have more conversations in the future. Can you tell everyone where to find you online? Absolutely. Um, if you go on Instagram, my Instagram handle is at reinventing beauty. Um, also, the salons is at blue, B-L-U, color salon. They post all the good hair stuff. I don't know. My social could be better for sure. But that's where you can find me. You can definitely uh, reach out through, you know, messenger on that, messenger on that, or on Facebook. I'm Nicole Gillick as well. Well, thank you so much for being on today, Nicole. And I hope everyone learned from your <laughs> learned from your pain and your growth. That was really great. Thank you for sharing. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. The thing that I love about interviewing Nicole is her commitment to being transparent about what she's been good at and what she hasn't. And I'm so blown away by her honesty and resilience and her ability to take something that seems impossible or seems hard and make it sound like it was fun at the end of the day. Like, I just am so encouraged. I hope you are too. I hope it recharged you and inspired your dreams about your business, no matter where you're at right now. And if you are not feeling inspired or you're having trouble reframing the way you think about your business as restrictions are rolled back and as you're having to move forward into this year, into this new normal, I want to encourage you to go to my website and watch a free class I have there. Um, go to lauren-gish.com slash webinar. That's lauren-gish.com slash webinar and sign up to watch the webinar. I'm going to walk you through a five-step game plan that I give to my clients that feel overwhelmed, overworked, or maybe they're drowning in debt to help get them to somewhere where they're rested, in control of their business, and more than profitable. Even if they're self-proclaimed bad at business or aren't even sure if they want to stay open. I've laid it all out for you there in five easy steps. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today. I truly believe that our stories are powerful and that we're better together. I'll see you in the next episode.